Well, good morning, everyone. And I thought I'd begin this morning by telling you a funny story. In just a moment, we're going to give in to an offering. And sometimes I worry that if I give in to the offering, well, then I'm going to have less money. And then I'm going to end up missing out on something good down the line. And basically, something bad is going to happen to me because I put money in the offering. Anyway, let me tell you the story. I think you'll enjoy this. There was a man who was at an airport and he wanted to buy a bag of small donuts and a coffee. So he buys his bag of small donuts and he buys his coffee. He's looking for a table to sit at, but all the tables are taken. But there's this one table where there's a man sitting opposite an empty chair. So he thinks, oh, I'll just go and sit there. So he goes there. He puts his coat down on the back of the chair. He sits down. He puts his bags down. He opens his coffee. He has a sip of his coffee. He opens his bag of donuts, helps himself to a donut. As he's eating his donut, the man sitting opposite reaches over, picks up the bag of donuts, opens it, puts his hand in the bag, takes out a donut, starts eating it, closes the bag and smiles. He's just stolen one of my donuts. The man cannot believe it. What is the world coming to? But then he thinks, I better not say anything, you know, in case this bloke's violent. So what he does is he picks up the bag and he moves it right over as close as possible to him, as far as possible away from this other bloke. He opens the bag second time, puts his hand in, helps himself to his second donut. As he's eating the donut, the man opposite again reaches across the table, picks up the bag of donuts, opens it, puts his hand in, starts eating a donut, closes the bag and smiles. He's done it twice. He's stolen two of my donuts. But still the bloke thinks, hang on a minute. I better not say anything because I can see we could easily get into a fight here. Anyway, at this moment, the other bloke stands up to leave. Yeah, it's about time you left your donut thief, he thinks to himself. But then the man stops as he's walking away. He comes back to the table. He picks up the donut bag for the third time. He opens it up. There's only one donut left by this stage. He takes out the one remaining donut. He breaks it in half. He puts half in his mouth. He puts the other half back in the bag. He closes the bag. He smiles. He waves. And off he goes. I'm not touching that half donut. Now you've touched it, the man thinks. But then he looks at his watch and thinks, oh, it's time for me to go. So he goes back to the chair. He puts on his coat. And as he leans over to pick up his bag, there, sitting on top of his bag is his bag of donuts. So this whole time, this man's been complaining that bloke's stealing my donuts, whereas in fact the whole time the other man had been sharing his donuts. Folks, here's the good news. God owns all the donuts. God does not have a time. 
limited, restricted number of donuts so that if we were to share some of the donuts that God has given us, we won't have enough and then we'll miss out and something bad will happen to us. No. If we choose to share some of the donuts that God has given us, God can give us new donuts. God can give us new donuts. God can give us more donuts. Folks, God can do this because God is the donut maker. God can create new donuts. God can create more donuts. The way that God does this is that God has raised up donut factories all over the earth. And so the good news is that God's plan for your life is more donuts and not less. God is for you and not against you. Now, you might hear that and say, you know, here's the thing. When I go home from New Day, I'm going back to a tough situation at home. Or when I go to school or college in September or university, I'm facing some challenges there. But maybe you still have a dream for your life that you'd love to come true. Maybe you can't quite see how your dream for your life will come true. Maybe you can't imagine how it will happen. You can't make your dream come true. But the person who made the universe out of nothing, he could make your dream come true. God is able to get you from where you are now to where you'd love to be. And this morning, folks, is not so much a sermon It's really what in Christian jargon gets called a testimony. It's three true stories from my life that added together make up the short story of my life. It's three dreams, if you like. Dream number one. When I was eight years old, every morning my dad would read the Times newspaper and I would read the sport on the back page. And from the age of eight... It was my dream to be a football reporter for the Times newspaper. Because I was football crazy. Because these guys on the back page, they were getting paid to go to all these top football matches. I wanted to be paid to watch football. I dreamt of traveling the world with the England football team. I dreamt of being on first-name terms with the superstars of professional football. I could see myself in my dream. One day, I will be traveling on an airplane, sitting next to the England football team manager. It was my dream to be a football writer for the Times newspaper. Now, the key to my dream coming true was at the age of 22, me getting onto the number one postgraduate journalism training course in London. So I send in my application, they write back, and I remember kneeling on my floor in my final year at university as I opened their reply, and it was a rejection letter. And by that stage in my life, I had become a Christian by that stage, but my dream was in tatters. 
And I remember saying out loud to God, God, where have you gone? Folks, the only other postgraduate journalism training course in Britain that I could go on? Well, that was in Cardiff. I said, I said, Lord, that's in Wales. I said, Lord, how can it possibly be your will that I live in Wales? It just seems so totally contrary. But nevertheless, I did apply for this course in Cardiff, and I had a fantastic time. I got onto the course. I had a fantastic time living in Cardiff. I lived in this shared house with five other students. There were four Welsh female rugby players on the two floors above me, and I lived on the ground floor with my friend Emir. Emir was a native Welsh speaker. English was his second language. And the only thing that Emir ate were pork chops and HP sauce. Absolutely true. Anyway, I'm in journalism college in 1992. And in 1992, folks, there was a severe economic recession. There were very few jobs going at all. These were the bad old days. Very few jobs going, let alone in sports journalism, where, as I'm sure you can imagine, there are hundreds of people who all want to be paid to watch sport. But somehow, I managed to get two job offers. One was to be the rugby reporter for the Gloucester Citizen, and the other was to be a a, a news sub-editor on the Birmingham Post and Mail. But I had this passion to reach people for Jesus by starting new churches. So I wanted to be sure that it was God's will that I should take one of these two jobs. And so, while I was praying about my decision, I asked a Christian friend of mine for some advice. And his name is Lex Loisidis. And incidentally, what a great name that is. I mean, what a marvelous thing it would be to go through life being able to say, Hi, I'm Lex. Lex Loisidis. Anyway, um, I asked Lex. Lex says... I think you should turn both of those jobs down, he says. I think instead you should go to a newly started church on the Surrey-Sussex border. I think, Adrian, you should become part of Reigate and Redhill Community Church, he says. I say, that's all well and good, Lex, I say. But what would I do for a living? He said, oh, I've absolutely no idea. And so... I go back into the shared student house. There are the four Welsh female rugby pairs. There's Emir with his pork chops and his HP sauce. And I just felt this tremendous sense of peace. Peace that, yes, I should turn down these two jobs. Yes, I should move to this town in Surrey and become part of this newly started church to reach people for Jesus. And that then I should just trust God for money to come. Now, I phone these two jobs back. I have to explain that I'm not coming after all. They say, hey, why are you turning down a great job like this in the middle of an economic recession? I say, because I'm committed to reaching people for Jesus through starting new churches. I said, right. And I moved to Reigate. 
And I started looking for work in central London as a freelance. And you know, folks, I actually managed to get some shifts working on the sports desk as a sub-editor at the Times newspaper. And then one night at the Times, in between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m., all the sports reporters on the Times newspaper all left. They did not just leave the building. They all left the organization. They left News International, meaning there was literally nobody in the building to write the words on the back page for the following day's newspaper. And who just happened to be on the subs bench at that moment? Who just happened to be in the right place at the right time? So because I was a human being in the building who could type, I wrote the back page lead. And from that day forward, I became a football reporter. Within a few weeks, I was reporting on premiership football all over the, all over the next while. Within, I guess, maybe uh, a few months, I was on first-name terms with the premiership stars of the day. And you know what? Three years after that night at the Times, on a flight from London to Paris, I sat next to the England football team manager. My dream to become a football reporter on the Times newspaper came true. What's your dream? What's your dream? Because God can make dreams come true. Folks, the way that my dream came true, the way that I ended up getting paid to watch football was by putting, starting new churches first. I made a decision in a financial economic recession that made no sense financially. I prioritized starting new churches. That's how I ended up working for the Times. Through putting church planting first in my finances, my dream came true. And incidentally, through that decision, through moving to that town in Surrey, that's how come I met Julia Brown, who is now my wife. And every good thing that has happened to me in my life since then all came out of that one decision. What's your dream? My dream came true. What's your dream? So now, at this point in my life, I am living in Surrey. Now, folks, about, about the most radical thing that happens in Surrey is that sometimes you go to a garden center. Yeah, yeah. That, that can happen. That can happen. And I'm commuting up into central London, and by the stage, I'm working for the BBC as a radio presenter. And shortly after that, I actually began uh, as a TV presenter. So I'm working as a television presenter. And around this stage in my life, I have a second dream. My dream is to see thousands of people in this country become Christians. In my dream, I can see myself standing on stages all over the UK explaining the good news about Jesus Christ with hundreds and hundreds of people responding all over this nation. Now, at the time, I was part of this church plant which had grown to about 160 people. At this point, this church offered me a job, and it was an exciting job. 
They say, Adrian, rather than you being, uh, telling people about football, they say, how about you tell people about Jesus instead? And after two years of me not giving them a proper answer to this very good invitation, this exciting job, they're offering me a chance to be a Christian evangelist. After two years of not giving them a proper answer, I think they deserve a proper reply. And so I decide I'm going to pray about this for 40 days and I'm going to fast as I'm making this important decision. And so during this 40-day period, I also ask the advice of two celebrities. These are BBC presenters who I know are Christians and they both say, Adrian, if I were you, they say, I think you should stay in sports journalism. But I also asked the advice of a Christian evangelist called J. John. And on day 22 of my fast, J. John rang me. And I'm talking to him about this big decision. And as he's listening, he, he listens to what I have to say. And then he says, Adrian, listening to you, I think that what you really want to do is that you want to give up your sports journalism and that you want to become a Christian evangelist. It's just that you're struggling to give up your media career, he says, because you think it's a big thing to give up. And the moment he said that, whoosh, this tremendous sense of peace comes. I was so out of touch with my own feelings, folks. I needed somebody else to tell me what I thought. And so when J. John told me what I already thought, I thought, yes, that is what I think. And I knew it was the right thing to do. So I saw out the rest of this 40-day fast. And folks, I can tell you that after 40 days of not eating anything, I was really hungry. I go into my boss's office. I announce that I'm going to be leaving. We go out onto the departmental floor. We gather everybody in the department. Everybody's standing around. I stand on the chair and I announce that I'm leaving and I explain my reasons and I weave together the reasons why I'm leaving sports journalism with the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead as if really those are two and the one, one and the same thing. Um, but, and then after that, I go to my desk and I type the most Jesus-tastic email that I've ever typed, press send to everybody in the organization. And then on my final day, I had this bizarre exit interview with the head of human resources. And this lady explains that she wants to know more about the reasons why people leave the organization. And I answer her questions. And at the end of answering her questions, she simply pointed to a photograph on her desk of the actor Richard Gere. And she said, Adrian, you and I, we have a lot in common because... I'm a Buddhist as well. So, obviously, I didn't explain my reasons for leaving very clearly. Anyway, three days later, I was working for the church. And I went down onto 40% of what I had been earning. So the question was, could I live on less than half of what I had been earning? Could I live on a 60% pay cut? Answer? There is only one way to find out. But you know what? I did not starve to death. How come? Because God owns all the donuts.
God sent his donuts to me and I ate them. My dream came true. And do you know, as it happens, just so you know, since I stopped telling people about football and started telling people about Jesus instead, actually, I have seen thousands of people in this country become Christians. I have seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people all over the UK meet Jesus. My dream came true. What's your dream? Because God can make dreams come true. The person who made the universe out of nothing, he can find a way to get you from where you are now to where you would love to be. God can make dreams come true. Folks, I had a third and final dream. And this dream was very specific. I dreamt that one day I could be part of a New Frontiers, newly started church plant in the heart of our nation, in central London. But how could we ever afford to live in central London? My wife, Julia, and I were living in Birmingham at the time with our two young children, and we worked out that for the price that we could sell our four-bedroom house in Birmingham for, we could afford a two-bedroom flat in central London. And the thing was, folks, we were hoping to have two more children. Here was the big question. Are we going to live in a two-bed flat? Me and Julia have one bedroom, all four kids in the other bedroom. That was the question. As we're discussing it, my wife Julia goes down to central London to look at two-bedroom flats. The next day, she rings me and says, oh, she says, I found this great house. And I was immediately disturbed by the use of the word house. I thought, well, maybe my wife doesn't really understand money. Maybe my wife doesn't understand that you can't just buy a house that you can't afford. She says, oh, she says, it's got this massive kitchen. She says, we'll be able to have loads of people over. She said, it's ideal for church planting, she said. And then she added one more phrase. She said, I believe that God is going to give us this house. Now, folks, over the past several years, there have been three or four occasions when my wife has said something dramatic like that. And every single time that she said something like that, it's always come true. So I say, okay, just answer me this one question, I say. How much is this house on the market for? And when she told me how much it was on for, I nearly fell off my chair. But I believe that, she said, God's going to give us this house. So anyway, we apply for this enormous loan, this huge mortgage. We're asking to borrow this enormous eye-watering sum of money. And we also managed to agree the sale of our house in Birmingham. Both of these deals are due to go through on the 16th of February. And then my wife goes down to London. She actually finds school places for our two children. There's one school. The school say, look, we've got the places right now. You need to start straight away, Mrs. Holloway. You need to get your kids in. 5th of January is when term starts. She says, well, we live in Birmingham. We're not going to move for another six weeks. They said, oh, well, sorry, you've lost the school places. She said, so we agree... Just for six weeks, our kids and my wife will live with my parents in London. The kids can start school. We won't lose the school places. Hey, 
this mortgage lender has already said they'll give us the money. I'll stay minding the fort in Birmingham. All our stuff's packed up in boxes. We're ready to move. It's only for six weeks. We don't really want to split the family up, but hey, it's only for six weeks. So we're waiting for this deal to go through. I'm living in Birmingham. Wife and kids living in London. Kids in a school in London. Three weeks in to the six weeks, the mortgage lender phones me and says, Mr. Holloway, you know how we said that we give you that enormous loan? I said, yes, I do remember that. They said, well, we've changed our minds. They said, you're too big a risk. I said, no kidding. They said, yeah, no kidding. So that was the end of that. Folks, there was only one other mortgage lender in Britain that was even in the market to lend to us. Just to explain, normally, as you may know, a mortgage lender will lend you up to four times what your income is. But to move to central London and buy this house, we were asking for a mortgage that was 13 times our income. Okay, just some background information for the rest of the story. There is only one other lender in Britain that would even consider such an application. I ring them and I apply for the mortgage and they say no. Understandably. They said, look, Mr. Holloway, if your wife was working full-time, who knows, we might consider your application, but seeing as you've said that she's not going to be working full-time, it's a no. You see, normally, in the normal way of things, my wife is a secondary school science teacher, but while we had these two young kids, we'd already decided, while the kids are really young, she won't be going back to work full-time. We'd already decided she's not going to go back to work full-time. So, in that moment, as I put the phone down, I've got to be honest with you this morning and say, I was absolutely gutted. I mean, I live on my own in Birmingham, in a house that I've sold. My wife and kids live in London. We haven't got anywhere to live. They're in this school in London. Everything's just gone wrong. But then I remember that my wife has said that God is going to give us this house. And I realize, folks, that my only hope and prayer is to phone this mortgage lender back and ask them to change their minds. To ask them, hey, instead of saying no, how about you say yes? <laughs> so, I make the phone call. I say, hi, yeah, um, yeah, I was on the, uh, we were speaking just a moment ago. Yeah, Mr. Holloway, yeah, we were speaking, yes, just a moment ago. Yeah, you know how when I asked you for a mortgage just then, yeah, remember that conversation? You know how you, how you said no? How about, instead of saying no, how about you say yes? How about that? And she said, uh, well, she said, um, I can always ask. And she puts me on hold. And I will never forget, the hold music went like this. Oh, 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 oh. You, you, you missed miss the rest of the story. It's, it's worth saying on it. So it's going, da, da, da. And as... This whole music is going without even realizing what I was doing. Out loud, I launched down the phone into this kind of ballistic kind of speaking in tongues kind of prayer. It feels like this is the defining moment of, of the rest of my life. And without realizing it, so the music's going, da, 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 da. And I'm going, and 
And after listening to my uninterpreted tongues for a short while, the lady takes me off hold and she says, you're never going to believe it, she says. But yes, you can have a mortgage. I said... But, she says, she says, there will be one condition. I said, oh, really? What's that? She said, before we will advance the loan, before we give you the money, before you can even buy the house, your wife has to find a permanent part-time secondary school science teaching job in central London before we'll give you the money. I phoned my wife. I said, I've got good news and bad news. She said, what's the good news? I said, the good news is we've got a mortgage. She said, that is fantastic. What can possibly be the bad news? I said, the bad news is that you've got to find and start a permanent part-time teaching job in London before they'll give us the money, before we can buy the house. She said, we've only got a few days. How on earth am I going to manage that? I said, I have no idea. Anyway, that's the end of the phone call. I then go into this whole this meeting about something else that lasts all day. At the end of this all-day meeting, my wife rings me. She rings me and she says, special one. That's what she calls me. For, for, for obvious reasons. Special one. So she says, special one, I found a job. I said, how did you manage that? She said, oh, I rang my old boss at the school that I used to teach. And I got straight through into the staff room. I got through to the head of science. He picked up the phone. He says to me, I thought you lived in Birmingham. She said, yeah. The um, thing is, we're trying to move to central London because we want to try and reach people for, for Jesus through starting a new church. And so in order to start the new church in London, we need to move to London, which means that we need to buy this house. And to buy the house, we need to get a mortgage. And in order to qualify for the mortgage, I need to get a permanent part-time teaching job. And so... I was just wondering, and he interrupts, and he says, you're never going to believe this, he says. The reason why I answered the phone, the reason I'm in the staff room, I'm supposed to be teaching. I've just gone and left the kids on their own in the classroom because I'm so stuck at the moment. I desperately need somebody I know and trust to come and start teaching here straight away. Then as I'm staring at the phone, I'm thinking, how can I find somebody that I already know who's available to come and teach here straight away? And then the phone rang, and it was you. I need you to start your work here straight away. Please say yes. Julia replies, yes. And so she starts working there straight away. The deal goes through. We move as planned on the 16th of February. And just so that you know, in the three weeks after we moved in, three people invested huge sums of money into our house, which brought down the size of the huge monthly interest payments to a reasonable level. And we are still living in that house today. And it gets better. In the first five years of that newly started church, we saw 197 people become Christians and we baptized 165. And that happened because God can make dreams come true. 
God made my dream to see a church plant make that kind of impact on our nation. God made that dream come true. What's your dream? Because God can make dreams come true. And as we give in a moment, as we come forward, as we share some of the donuts that God has given us, we're going to share some of our donuts with orphans in China that don't have families yet. We're going to share some of our donuts with people around Europe that have never heard the name of Jesus. They never grew up in a Christian family. They don't know anything about Christianity. But they're going to hear about Jesus because of you. Folks, we will find that as we share some of the donuts that God has given us, God hasn't promised in the Bible that he will give us everything that we want. But he has promised in the Bible that he will give us everything that we need. Folks, as we give, you needn't worry. God is your father. He's going to look after you. Because at the end of the day, he loves you. And he owns all the donuts. Maybe the band could come and join me. Now, I'm not going to eat any of these 216 Krispy Kreme donuts. You're going to eat them, okay? So, Simon's going to have the first one, perhaps. Um, let me just make two points. Here's, here's two points to make. Guys, just quieten down. Don't worry. Just quieten down for a second. Two things I want to say as we take up the offering. There are two good things that I think are going to happen to you in the next few moments. The first thing, we will find that what we invest in starts to matter more to us. So let's imagine in 18 months from now, let's imagine you hear that that church plant in Malaga, in Spain, that we were giving to, they're going to be baptizing eight people this coming Sunday. You'll start to feel, yeah, I invested in that. I helped make that happen. You'll feel good about your investment. And then maybe you'll hear in two years' time, you'll hear that that church plant in Maastricht in Holland, you'll find they actually have 200 people coming on Sunday mornings now. You'll feel good about that. I think, yeah, you'll think, I helped make that happen. I invested in that. Second and last thing I want to say to you this morning, really important, is that as you give, you're going to feel good because you're writing yourself into God's story. Folks, God has a story of how he's going to reach people in Maastricht in Holland. There are people right now, as we're in this tent, they're walking around in Holland, they don't know about Jesus, but because you give into this offering in a few minutes, some church is going to be planted there, that church is going to tell them the good news. And maybe, let me finish with this, one day, when you are in heaven, somebody's going to come up to you with a Dutch accent. And they're going to say to you, I just want to personally thank you for what you did for me. And you will say back to them, I'm ever so sorry. I don't think we've met. I'm not sure that I've done anything for you, have I? And they'll say, oh, no, they'll say. I have it on the highest authority that you were one of those people. At New Day 2017, you put money into that offering. That was the money that started the church. That was the church that told me for the first time about Jesus, they'll say. And now look where I am. You, right now, can help make that happen. 
I'm asking you as I close, do you want to invest now in something that will last forever? Do you want to invest in people? Do you want to give your money now to something that will change the world? Do you want to write yourself into God's story? Because if you do, right now you can. And as you give, hey, don't worry as you give money into the offering. God is your father. He's going to look after you. Because at the end of the day, God owns all the donuts. God bless you.